So uh, we are continuing on in the study that we're doing uh, in our Bible Institute. Uh, most of you know we have a Bible Institute, and uh, people watch this all over the place. As of this morning, there were 712 students uh, all over the world in our Bible Institute. It's available to anyone. It's all free. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree. There's 110 courses online that you can choose from. We're going through the New Testament survey together here in sort of an abbreviated format uh, right now on Wednesday nights, and we've been working our way through the Gospel of John in a survey uh, format, and we are up into the 19th chapter today. We're going to try and finish John today and maybe get started in the book of Acts, uh, but we'll see how it goes. And uh, so we're um, up to the crucifixion in... uh, John 19, I wanted to read you from verses 16 through 37, so you can follow along if you have your Bibles. Uh, I don't think I made it onto the note page, some of the other scriptures did, but uh, if not, I will read it to you. Finally, Pilate handed him over uh, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus uh, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other... But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given the testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you may also believe. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Okay, so um, lots of stuff happening there in John 19 and a lot of things uh, happening that um, are part of Scripture that are are being fulfilled at that moment. Remember, there's a tremendous amount of Old Testament Scripture pointing at the cross 
and um, prophetically, it's interwoven throughout uh, the, um, the books of the Old Testament and things that were going to happen there. Uh, and so some of the scriptures I think I put on your note page, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: they divide my garments among them, amongst them and cast lots for my clothing. So again, this was written a thousand years before this happened. And uh, the psalmist, David the psalmist, has a lot of songs that are relating to the Messiah Jesus and things that are happening as God begins to show David what will happen to uh, the, 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 the heir, his heir ultimately uh, on uh, and for the throne forever. Psalm 69, 20, 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And there the drink was offered to him. Psalm 34, 20, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. So prophetically, uh, Jesus' bones couldn't be broken according to this. And you, might, you, you know why they would break the bones of the guys being crucified? It would speed the process. See, what had to... See, this crucifixion was horrific. So you, you got to know, it was horrific every step of the way. But the, the way that they were hanging there, and um, they would have to push up on their legs in order to get a breath. So because their lungs would be filling with fluid, and in order to get a breath of air, they'd have to push against their legs. That's part of the horrific torture was that, you know, they pierced there so that every time that they had to push for a breath, they would just send pain everywhere. Well, when they broke their legs, they couldn't push any longer, and they would suffocate very quickly and die because of the fluid in their lungs. So um, Jesus, however, when they, when they went to get to him, uh, he, he, was, he was already gone. But he was in charge of the timing of that. The other thing, and I told you this last week, Jesus was in charge. He was always in control of that situation. He willingly had to go or else it wouldn't have been the kind of sacrifice that we needed. So, and he could have stopped it at any time, but he didn't. And uh, he did that for us in order to pay for our sin. Exodus twelve forty six. Um, it must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. So this whole thing went back all the way to the Passover lamb. Um, in Exodus, which we know Jesus is our Passover lamb. Um, remember back in the Passover, the lamb was um, taken into the house. It had to be a perfect lamb. And um, uh, it had to mean something. So they'd actually take this lamb into their house and see it's sort of attached to it. Um, and then the lamb would be killed uh, and it would be eaten, but the blood was put over the doorposts and it protected uh, the, the angel of death passed over the house where that had happened, the homes of all the uh, Jewish people who had done that and had saved their firstborn. It was a picture of what Jesus does. His blood um, covers us and, and the angel of death, in effect, now passes over us. We have eternal life. Zechariah 12:10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So there, you know, his, he was pierced uh, on the cross. All, all of these things are um, prophetic in this event, uh, and there's many others, but all of these things are happening, and John is recording them for us in the process of how these scriptures are being fulfilled. There's um, significant studies that have been done on the multitude of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It would be impossible for anyone to fulfill the prophecies if, if they were trying to. Um, it was because he was who he said he was, that he was, they, they're happening as they go. From, from when he was born to how he was born to where he was born to, you know, how all these things happen on the feast as they're being celebrated. Uh, pretty amazing in that it happens. Um, Jesus cries out, it is finished. 
which means uh, teleho, and the word that's used there, it is finished, means, uh, in effect, the price is paid in full. It was actually a business term. When you went and if you owed somebody money and you paid it off finally, they would stamp on it, teleho, it's finished. You don't owe anything anymore. And that's what he does for us, teleho, it's finished. I paid for your sin now, and uh, it's canceled in all who believe. Uh, if you continue on in that passage, um, it's very important. So they take Jesus off the cross and they put him in the tomb, um, as it has to be done. And the two people that do it are important. Joseph of Arimathea is one, and the other one is our friend Nicodemus. Pops back into the picture. Significant, because it's a very at that point it's very public. Um, so, so remember Nicodemus when we first met him in John three. He goes to see Jesus at night, so nobody knows. And he asks him the big questions in John 3. And Jesus' response, most of you know you have to be born again. And he doesn't get that, but it's all about spiritual rebirth. And, you know, you have to be born in the Spirit. And that was a big conversation. And then we saw Nicodemus again in John 7. Sort of actually stands up for Jesus a little bit against the Pharisees. And, you know, says, hey, we got to give him an opportunity to, to demonstrate, you know, what's going on. And now here at the end of the gospel, it's Nicodemus that goes with uh, Joseph of Arimathea and uh, prepares Jesus for the tomb. So significant, I think, movement in the life of Nicodemus as he encountered Jesus. Then uh, in John 20, it's about the resurrection of Jesus. Very, very interesting when you read it. Um, uh, in the first 10 verses, you know, we see what happens is that John, the, John, uh, the apostle John sees the, what's happened and he believes. So he, he sort of gets it. And then Mary, um, in the next few verses, she sees the Lord and she believes. That's when, you know, he appears to her. And then the disciples see the Lord and they believe. That's in verses 19 through 26. And then, remember, Thomas wasn't there. And then Thomas sees the Lord because he shows up again and he believes. And, and the thing is uh, that what Jesus is, does is he meets people where, where they need him to be and he, he makes sure that they have every opportunity. And that, that idea is key to the Gospel of John. Uh, when we started, I said the key verse, really, John 20, 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole point of John's Gospel was that people would, would believe in Jesus. And remember, I said he only records seven signs uh, in, in the gospel. And uh, he said there, there are other, lots of others, many other miraculous signs Jesus did in the presence of the disciples. But um, John, you know, as under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, crafted this gospel and he picked seven that we have seen and talk about. Then in the uh, 21st chapter... Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples at Tiberias. They've gone back to fishing. Remember, we were pretty confident that of the 12, seven of them were fishermen. Uh, so those were the kind of guys Jesus hung out with, So he, uh, which is good for most of the people who live in the Keys. And uh, seven of them probably fishermen. And so remember, you know, they, the disciples are trying to figure out what in the world's happened. This is a... a a huge shift in what they were expecting. They'd spent the entire time with Jesus in his ministry uh, expecting that he was going to overthrow the Roman occupation and he would be king and they would be all the top guys politically and it would be a restoration of the Davidic kingdom. 
even though Jesus was telling him it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen that way, their paradigm wouldn't allow them to see outside of it. And now Jesus is gone. They've seen that he's gone. And uh, he's, he's appeared to them, but they still they don't get now how this works or what's going on. And so, and they've been with him three years. That's what they did for three years, a long time. They did that three years, and now he was gone. And so they, they well, what do we do? So they go fishing because uh, that's what they know. So they go back to fishing. And they're fishing in the dark, um, uh, fishing at night, and they don't catch any fish, which is really symbolic. They're fishermen. They're not catching fish because remember when Jesus told them to come and follow him, what did he say? You're now going to be fishers of men. So you, you can fish all you want. It ain't going to work. And, and then Jesus comes and tells them how to do it. Uh, I'll try it on the other side. You know, and... and uh, uh, and then they catch all the fish. They're, they're, they're a huge catch of fish, 153 fish, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, the point of that is that a few minutes working with Jesus is way better than working by yourself all night long. You get a lot more accomplished that way. Then uh, he commissions Peter. He sort of reinstates Peter. Um, and, and it's an interesting conversation because he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And, and it's three times. And it's significant that he did it three times because Peter denied him three times. And Jesus is just making sure Peter understands that he's good. He's forgiven. You know, I mean, it's important to Jesus that Peter knows that. And uh, so he's making sure that he gets it, that he's covered. Uh, and uh, it, it um, changes Peter dramatically, as we're going to see when we move into the book of Acts. And that's the next big chunk of Scripture is the book of Acts. So let's uh, we'll get started in that. Um, great book. So, uh, you know, the Gospels, the four Gospels really help us see the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Then the book of Acts steps in and we sort of understand then the early church. And it records for us the early church. Uh, the book of Acts is, you know, it's the, it's the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to Rome. It's, it's what happens with the early church. It's written by Luke. We've talked about Luke in the past because uh, Luke wrote Luke. Very good. And so uh, thank you for listening. Um, Colossians 4.14, our dear friend Luke the doctor, he's a physician, and Demas send greetings. Uh, Philemon 1.24, and uh, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. That's Paul saying that. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So Luke um, was a faithful friend of Paul, and, and, uh, and he was a physician. He was a doctor. He traveled with Paul uh, and, um, in the missions, and he spent a lot of time with Paul as well as with um, a lot of the other guys. Uh, he, he, we know that he spent time with many of them in the process. Uh, he's writing this book as well to, uh, just as the book of Luke was written, to Theophilus. And Theophilus means lover of God. We believe Theophilus was an actual person, but it may have just been he was writing to all of us as lovers of God. And in some ways, uh, he certainly was because it's still here for us as the lovers of God under the inspiration of the Spirit. Uh, and... Uh, So we believe that's happened. The purpose of the book are uh, several. Um, Luke was trying to point out that Christianity was not dangerous to Rome. Um, 
in the early church, you know, they, they took a lot of persecution because of the whole, um, the Caesars thinking that this was a, another, you know, sort of uprising trying to take over. And Luke said that's not what it is at all. Uh, he makes a point that Christians are to be good citizens, um, that Christianity was for everyone. Um, he challenges uh, Christians in, in this to carry out the Great Commission. And um, he shows in the book of Acts how the church spread from Jerusalem to Rome. The church spreads amazingly uh, quickly when, in, in a short, short period of time. The, the numbers are just off the charts, how it grows and takes off and goes um, throughout the known world at the time. Uh, several ways to sort of look at the book. Um, the first part could be about Jerusalem and Peter, and the second part is about Paul and his ministry. Or um, we're going to read Acts 1-8 in a minute. Um, the first part is about the witness in Jerusalem. The second part is about the witness to Judea and Samaria. And then the third part is the witness to the world uh, in what happens. But um, Acts serves also as a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. So uh, this is what the church did. And then when Paul picks up writing and the other guys start writing in the epistles, it's, it's kind of how, you know, answering questions on how, how we're supposed to live through this thing. You know, Paul really answered a lot of questions about what it looks like to press on in this life as a believer. Um, the key verse in Acts is Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so um, that's what happens as we start in chapter 1. Um, in the beginning, Jesus tells them, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. And um, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and He's going to empower them to witness. Um, so when you, when you read that, make sure you get it. The Holy Spirit's purpose was to make the disciples witnesses. And what does a witness do? Tells the story. And that's what they were going to do. They were going to go tell the story. They were going to tell the good news. They were going to preach the gospel. That's what was to happen. That's the crazy plan that they have for the church is that Jesus is going to go and leave it in the hands of a bunch of fishermen, in effect. And uh, it's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit, and it's going to go from there. And it certainly does. Um, and then Jesus ascends into the heavens, and the angels promise uh, a coming king. And we know that we're waiting for that time when Jesus comes again. The second coming will happen. Uh, we've looked at a lot of Scripture about that and prophetically how that fits into the feast. But, and we're, we're, on, we're waiting for that. We're, we're redeeming the time. We're living like He could come back at any moment. And at the same time, we're living like He might, it might take a little while yet. We don't know. It's been 2,000 years. So people sometimes ask me, are we living in the last days? And I say, yes. And then they go, oh, good. And then I say, but we've been in them for 2,000 years. So, <laughs> so yes. The answer is absolutely yes. But you've got 2,000 years, so you figure that out. Um, so that's definitely going to happen. And then, you know, they're trying to work things out. They need to replace Judas, so they select a new apostle um, who we don't hear much about. However, it doesn't mean that it wasn't the right thing. But then some people go, well, the, obviously the 12th one was Paul that gets selected later on, possibly, but they got you a guy anyway. And, uh, and again, they don't know what's going on. You know, can you, I can't even imagine. I try and fathom what it would have been like to have been 
those guys walking with Jesus, seeing all those miracles, convinced that one thing was going to happen, something else happens, and then trying to deal with it. And, and just, the, just the emotion of having him gone. Is, and, you know, even though you're seeing him and he's telling you things, and, because you have nothing to compare it to. They don't have a... Nothing hasn't happened before. So, they're, they're, you know, it's very difficult when you're doing something that's never happened before ever. You've got nowhere to look. Um, Acts chapter 2, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, as we've talked about as one of the feasts, is 50 days after the resurrection. So they've had that chunk of time in they're trying to figure this stuff out. But um, re- remember the feast, the Jesus fulfills the first three feasts perfectly. Pentecost is the fourth one, and the Holy Spirit comes, and that one is fulfilled perfectly. Three feasts remain. The next one is the next big harvest feast at Trumpets, and we're, we're waiting on that one. That's at the end of the big harvest season. And it's, you know, signaled by trumpets, and we all know that we're waiting for a trumpet on the Lord's return. Uh, The people uh, at Pentecost that are gathered around this whole process hear the gospel in their own languages. Um, Peter preaches, Jesus is Lord. Uh, The crowd initially thinks the disciples are drunk because all this thing is happening, but that's not what's going on. They're they're filled with the Spirit, and... uh, Thousands respond to Peter's message. Three thousand that day. Uh, an amazing. The church it starts and that Pentecost. Three thousand boom men are added plus women and children. Boom they added, and the church goes from there. Um, they believe and they're baptized. They they change their minds about the things of God and move towards Him. And baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of the washing. Uh, you know, it's a washing of the, the heart and the, the soul and, and it's a re, um, re, re sort of moving towards the Lord in the process. And the, the early church is very united. Acts 2 tells us the church was about teaching, fellowshipping, worshiping, praying. It was a very joyful place. Um, we still, that's supposed to be true today of church. You know, same thing should be happening. We should be, there should be teaching, fellowshipping, which is getting together and having a meal. Worshiping should happen. There should be prayer and, and uh, should, be, should be a good thing to do. You don't want people to feel like... I, I never want people to feel like, oh, I've got to go to church. Ever. Uh, so the disciples are busy teaching the new believers the things that Jesus had taught them. Remember the central theme? And we spent a lot of weeks talking about this was the kingdom of God and what that means and what we understand about the kingdom and how that looks like, and that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom on His first coming. He'll consummate the kingdom when He returns. We're living in a period of time in between that we know is the now and not yet. Jesus is here, but not fully here. The kingdom is here, uh, but not fully here. The kingdom breaks through from time to time, uh, and it's significant and can break through, which is why we pray for His will to be done and through, you know, give us today our daily bread, the things of tomorrow, let it happen today. We pray with great faith because it breaks in all the time, but we know that until He comes on the second time, nothing is, it's not perfect yet. It will be when He comes back. Uh, people are, were being added to the church daily, it says in Acts chapter 2. Can you, every day people are coming to know Jesus, every day. And that number just keeps going. As the new people come, they're telling new people and it just spirals. Very cool. Acts 3. Oh, there's a lame man that hangs out by the temple and uh, he gets healed. He asks for money and they say, well, we don't have any early church. Well, this is what we can do for you. And they pray for him and he's healed. And uh, 
They were uh, at the time of prayer, and and, uh, so they were heading over there. Cool to know that the disciples were part of that, part of what was going on in the beginning. And uh, um, Peter talks, uh, um, he preaches about repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, uh, a changed life results from repentance. Uh, it affects our past when we, because our sins are forgiven, our future because of eternal life, the present. We have an abundant life now in Christ when we, when we repent and turn and move in, in the direction of the Lord, come to Him in faith. Acts chapter 4 doesn't take long. Peter and John are arrested. Uh, and... Uh, for preaching Jesus. So Jesus told him to expect it, so it wasn't like it was a big surprise. But it doesn't take long for the persecution to turn now from Jesus onto his disciples. Um, but they can't stop it. They keep trying to stop it, and they keep arresting them, and they, got, they tell him to stop it, and Peter says, who are we supposed to listen to? You are God. And they get mad, and they beat them up a little bit, and they go out and keep talking about Jesus. These guys were, they were really amazing, you know. They just kept going and doing it. Like, at one place, when we read... Uh, about the Apostle Paul. Paul is, Paul is dragged out of town and beaten to death, uh, in effect, we believe, and gets, shakes that off and goes back into that same town and preaches some more. So you'd think you'd probably take a hint from that, right? <laughs> but he's like, I'm going back. Somebody else needs to hear. So lots of cool stuff happens throughout the book of Acts, but that's enough for today. We'll pick up more next week. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and see us when you can. And uh, God bless you.